What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Essential Eleven. As always, brought to you by Acton Academy, Acton Academy Placer, our friends over at DiscoverPraxis.com, and of course, Apogee Strong, uh, which is where this episode is coming to you from today. Uh, we got to bring back a past Essential Eleven guest, as uh, my friend Connor Boyick. Uh, Connor is an amazing human doing so much for liberty and freedom, probably best known for the books that he writes, specifically uh, the Tuttle Twins series. Uh, And this is just an amazing episode. Uh, The questions from these young men are spot on, uh, but the answers are are just full of wisdom. And Connor elaborates uh, so well on so much of this stuff. So you guys are going to get a lot of value out of this. Just be aware uh, setting up the new studio and, uh, you know, Connor was gracious enough to join us on site from, uh, from, uh, a place where he was out fighting for Liberty. So, you know, audio quality can, can cut in and out, but, uh, just hang with it. Cause the value is absolutely there, you know, and there we go. Uh, of course, of course, man. Last time I think you were in your house, the last time you and I chatted on this, now you're somewhere all formal You've got the tie on, the suit. You make me look like a chump. How you doing, sir? That's what you told me to do when we were texting. So I was just... Uh, is, that, is that what it was? No, I'm at, I'm at the Capitol uh, today in our state. It's the last day of our legislative session. So I'm wearing my... Uh, my uh, the first day and the last day of the legislative session, I wear my shiny silver suit. Uh, it's part of my one of my traditions. So here I am. That's awesome, man. And you're taking the time here, man. I am so, uh, so honored and so grateful, honestly, for you taking the time for that. Um, means, means a big deal, man. It's a big deal. Um, and, you know, last time we got to chat, we got to have lunch uh, in uh, Sacramento yeah. um, when you were in visiting, which was awesome. Um, and it was phenomenal to see you. And, and uh, I want to tell all these guys what you're doing. You know, these young guys, I, you know, I got to tell you a little bit about this. Apogee Strong is, is a mentorship program for these young guys. These guys are all over the world. They're committing to projects and challenges and uh, workouts and readings and, and all to be leaders, the leaders that this world needs more of that we don't see enough of, um, you know, and I know, you know, my heart for, for young people and, and developing those leadership skills because we share the same, you know, the same mission on, on, uh, liberating them. And so you taking the time, man, is, is great. Awesome. Well, I'm happy to do it. Do you want me to just start with a few remarks and then we could, uh, do some Q and A? I'd love to, man. That's going to be the burn of it is going to be that Q and A, but I'd love to to just yeah if you, if you don't mind kind of giving these guys just the brief overview they know some things about you but yeah. you know just kind of all the things that you're into and what you're currently working on that'd be a great place to start so so uh hi everyone i'm, I'm connor and i guess uh, the way to, to simplify this is i am a testament to the fact that anyone can change um i didn't have anything like apogee when i was growing up i uh, just went to public school i um I didn't like school. I didn't do well in school. I really didn't do well in uh, English and history. Uh, I, I, I did awful in them. I never really saw the purpose. I mean, I was bullied a lot in school, which I think was part of the, the challenge that I had. And and I didn't really love learning. I didn't love excellence. I, I liked taking the path of least resistance. I was lazy. I just wanted to hang out with friends. Um, and, uh, and my life today is very different. The subjects that I did the poorest in in school are now what I do as a profession full-time. I've written 31 books. I'm writing another, I think, eight this year. Um, my mom, after I had published about a dozen books, my mom ran into my eighth grade teacher. Uh, I grew up in San Diego. Uh, we now live in Utah. And... Uh, and so my mom, who lived in San Diego still at the time, she ran into my eighth grade teacher. This was maybe about five years ago or so. And, uh, and, and this teacher of mine said, oh, how's Connor doing? And, and I, when my mom was telling me the story, I thought, you know, it's either a great thing that your eighth grade teacher remembers you a decade or two later, or a really bad thing that your teacher remembers yeah, you. All not those. a lot of middle ground yeah, there. And, yeah. and, and in my case, I stood out because I was not a good uh, student. And so my mom told my teacher, oh, he's written a dozen books. And her mind was like, you know, like it could not, uh, could not compute. So, so look, like I was able to turn my life around and begin excelling 
trying at the very things um, that I, I wasn't that good in. One of the books that I wrote um, last year was a book for teenagers. It's called How to Not Suck at Life. And, uh, and then the subtitle is 89 Tips for Teens. And I wrote that for people your guys' age because um, I, I write a lot of other books for kids and for teenagers. And I've had so many parents uh, asking me how they can help their kids because they're getting exposed to all kinds of just awful role models. And, and there aren't really a lot of good role models being held up. And social media is just filled with garbage and there are a lot of opportunities for kids to be led down wrong paths uh, or, or just, you know, not be productive, not rise to their full potential and be a, an instrument for good in the world and, and for themselves and their, their success. So a lot of these parents over the past few years have been asking me like, Hey, what can, you know, I do for my, my kids. And, and uh, I didn't, I didn't, and no mad about uh, apogee here and, and i think we probably need a thousand more things like this to really serve a lot of young people um and so i decided for my part to write that book uh, how to not suck at life because at least it was something i could do to help those parents help their kids what you guys are doing here in in this uh, group is amazing because so much of success in life in my experience comes down to intentionality if you are intentional about your life, you will succeed. If you, it, it's, you know, what is measured improves. If you pay attention to, you know, your health or your weight or your savings and how much you're earning or whatever, the, the things that you focus on, you will be able to improve. And we are such a distracted people that most young people, teens and young adults don't focus on these things. They just let life happen to them. Instead of acting, they're acted upon right? They, they go about life and just are buffeted about by other people and what's happening and oh, oh this thing. And, oh, I, you know, I, they don't take control. They don't make plans. They don't set goals. And so they find themselves as adults decades later, still doing the same thing. And you guys, I think our society's biggest problem is that people in general, so many people are not intentional about their life. They are not focused about goal setting and planning and uh, focusing on what they want and going after it. I, I have a coach myself. And uh, when I started with my coach, I was expecting this, you know, wise person to kind of tell me all these things and, you know, please tell me what I need to do in my life, you know, and tell me, right. tell me, you know, the direction I should go in or whatever. And so we sat down on the first uh, coaching session and he looks at me and he says, Connor, what do you want? And I said, huh? Like, well, what do you mean? He's like, what do you want? And, and, and he said, too often, we don't think about what we want in life. We just, you know, think about like what we're doing wrong or what we should be doing or what others tell us that we need to do. And he said, I want you to forget all of that. And I want you to go and return and, and come back to me and tell me, what do you want? Because it's those motivations that best drive our actions. When we have something That's that right. we want to go after, I, I wrote a book all about, uh, it's called Passion Driven Education. What I struggled with in school was when I'd have to sit down and I'd have to learn that the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell or, you know, the past participle subjunctive of, you know, the, the pre-prepositional word of, you know, like, I didn't care about any of that garbage because it was all meaningless to me. But, you know, right. what I cared about later, a little later in life was I cared about personal freedom. I cared about the ideas of liberty. And suddenly when I developed that interest, I learned all kinds of things. I learned the English. The reason why my English teacher was so surprised is because I did awful. I never sat down with an English textbook to like finally figure out how to improve. You know what I did? I read a bunch of books and I would notice like, oh, he explained that really well. If I kind of borrow yeah. the way he said that, and then maybe on a blog post or or even in an email to a friend, if I kind of word something similarly and, and make it my own, now I can improve. I did it through observation and mimicking other people and learning from the great people and then making that my own practice until it became my own. And, and it was because I, had, I was driven by a desire. I, I learned English and I learned writing and I learned persuasion and marketing and psychology and business, not because I wanted to like go to school and learn from textbooks and like just learn those things themselves. It's because I identified what I want. I wanted to become a freedom fighter. I wanted to change laws. I wanted to change people's minds 
right? Persuade people to believe in the ideas of freedom. And suddenly all those other things that I had to learn, I began learning because they were the means to an end. I had identified what the end was for me. That end was, I want to become a freedom fighter, an effective freedom fighter. And now that drove everything else. Suddenly learning how to write well was not drudgery. It wasn't because I had an assignment before. It was because I realized that I wanted to have this goal. I was way over here in terms of my ability to communicate and write and persuade people. And so I was very motivated to close that gap and be able to learn by language. And it was fun. It was not boring homework. It was not stressful projects. Right. It was not I loved it because every step I, I took in that path got me a little bit closer to where I was trying to go. And that every time I took a step, it was very motivating because I was like, oh man, look, I've gotten this much better. And, look right. it. and it was very motivating because I, I had identified what I wanted out of life. And then all the learning that had to happen around that, all the experiences that I needed to gain in order to attain that goal, it was joy. It was fun. It was motivating. It was liberating. Uh, because like my coach years later had said, and maybe I had forgotten a little bit of this, focusing on what you want out of life and then letting all the things uh, between you and that goal be part of the journey, find joy in the journey, because every step is taking you in the direction of what you're trying to achieve. But you have to spell out what do you want? You have to identify that. I think a lot of us don't do that. I think you guys are all about that here. And uh, so I'm excited to be here with you. Oh, that's awesome, man. I, I mean, so much, so much wisdom in that and, and so much beauty, the action versus the reaction, the going after what you want, the intentionality, you know, and, and the second book that these guys read in the program is Atomic Habits. Because Excellent. they talk about the fact that if you build, you got to build, school teaches, the one thing school, you know, does a really good job of teaching you is how to have bad habits. <laughs> and one of the worst habits that it teaches you is how to not be intentional anymore about your own life because there's somebody else that's going to tell you what to do and when to do it. And you're just going to have to do it whether you want to or not. Right. And so you fall out of, I love what you said, you know, I didn't love excellence. Well, you fall out of that. When somebody strips your sovereignty away, you have no desire for excellence because it's excellent for them. It's not right. excellent for you and your mission. Right. So that habit goes away. You know, when you're talking about re retaking that, reclaiming that for yourself um, and learning to follow those patterns, learning to re-love excellence, man, and that intentionality, I freaking love that. And I love what you said about, you know, the, uh, you know, the, uh, we talk a lot about the way the world works versus the way um, we're told it works versus the way it actually works too. And you're talking about being an effective communicator and mimicking others who have had success. I think that is such a powerful concept that we, you know, we try to hit on as much as possible. We were doing, uh, we just drove across the country a couple of weeks ago and um, I'm a, I'm a good writer. I am nowhere near the writer that you are, but I'm a good communicator and I can write well. We were doing Mad Libs and my kids were going, Hey, you know, we need a, you know, we need an adjective. We need a verb. And I'm going, what are those again? <laughs> can you remind me? Like, I don't, you know, it's, the academic thing of it. Um, so no, I, I fall in line with so much of that. I love it, man. Um, what I've got two questions that come off that. And then I want to open it up and let these guys, cause they're going to have better questions. What, um, if you had to pick, you've got your 89, you know, what, how not to suck at life. And you got the 89 tips right there. What is the number one tip you probably needed most when you were, you know, 15, 16, 17, like these guys here. Okay. 15, 16, 17. Um, I think, what I needed most in my life was the understanding. I needed to understand the importance of delayed gratification. I, I think this is way worse than it was when we were kids with social media and apps yeah. and, you know, True. right when I want an Uber to show up, it can show up. Or if I want DoorDash to bring me lunch, magically it happens. Uh, I think we're in an instant gratification society. Success comes from sacrifice in, 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 in attainment of a higher goal. If you want to save for a car, if you want to start a company, if you want to, you know, marry that girl or whatever, right? Like identifying again, what you want, but then recognizing that sometimes that requires depriving ourselves of conveniences or, or, uh, or benefits in the front end because you are saving for something greater. I talk about this with my kids a lot, right? Because it's so easy that when you earn money, you want to go spend it. Ah, I got this money. I can go out buy this type toy. And I say, but you know, the toy, you're not going to enjoy in two years. You're going to want to sell it or get rid of it or, you know, throw it away. 
right? What if you could focus on the things that have lasting value that two years from now are going to be like, man, I saved up all this money. I can have this bigger. And it's not just a financial thing, but, That's right. but when I was younger, I was very much, uh, a, I had strong desires for instant gratification. And so in my twenties, sure. I was broke and, uh, and, and I was in this wrong mentality where every day was its own thing. It was, Oh, I earned this money. Let me go out to eat or let me go with friends. And it was, right. it was very limited. And I didn't take a long view of my life of what I want, the, the steps I wanted to be taking on a daily basis so that I would be set up for more success, you know, later in life when all my other peers would just be hand to mouth, focused on the daily activity, not thinking of retirement, not thinking of family, not thinking of their future. And uh, I had to kind of reprogram my, my mind a little bit because for so much of my youth, I was focused on this instant gratification. Uh, and it took me a little while to, to get out of that. So that would be a big rule for yeah. me when I was young is, is the importance of delayed gratification. That is huge, man. And I, and I think you're right. It is, it is something that these guys um, have an extra layer to that battle that you and I didn't have. Um, but I think with any kind of uh, extra challenges come, come extra opportunities as well. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think if they're able to, to kind of mitigate that and, and um, you know, kind of get around that and really pay attention to that and be intentional you know, again, there's that word about, about that. Um, you know, I think they're just going to separate even more from their peers quicker um, because that, you know, people notice that. Yeah. Gosh, so good. And then my last question here before I open up to you, uh, to you guys. So gentlemen, if you've got, you know, as you got some questions, um, you know, start getting them up and, and uh, I'll start calling on you guys after. Um, so you're there uh, on site right now. You're in your state of Utah. What exactly are you doing? What is your role in what you're doing there uh, today? And what are you fighting for? So I call myself a full-time freedom fighter. I founded a nonprofit organization that exists to change laws, state and local laws in favor of a freer society. So that means repealing bad laws that are hurting businesses or preventing people from using their property the way they want and, you know, lowering taxes so people don't have to pay as much of their money right? Getting the government out of the way. So I saw that so much of the laws that have been passed were done by the government. The government has tons of lobbyists. All these different government agencies have their own lobbyists and they come to the Capitol and they try and get the government to pass even more laws that take more of our freedoms in one way. And there wasn't really anyone in my state advocating very well for the ideas of freedom and limited government shrinking the government. So I started an organization to do that. We now have dozens of people working with us. And my role, our team's role up here at the Capitol is to talk to elected officials and encourage them to support you know, some legislation that will reduce the power of government, that will give people more of their money, that will reduce regulations on businesses, get the government out of the way. We're kind of a voice for freedom and we create, and, and I'll share this little tip, you know, this, my success in basically any profession, whatever you're going to do comes down to relationships. I, I didn't learn this until very late in life. I thought it was my intelligence and I thought it was my, you know, for some people's their good looks or whatever. And, and what I came to learn is that no matter what profession you're in, it's the relationships that matter. It's the people that you know, it's your network, right? So, so investing time in getting to know people in serving other people, Hey, what problems do you have? Maybe I can help solve them or I might know someone who can being a solution for other people's problems. They're going to love you. They're learning this rule of reciprocity, uh, the, the book uh, by Robert Cialdini called Influence is a fantastic book to read, you guys, to understand some of this stuff. That if you can invest in relationships, I don't care what your skills are. I don't care, like, you know, what you can or cannot do. If you invest in relationships, you will succeed. And so ultimately, Dream I am story. a relationship manager up here at the Capitol. My role is to build relationships with elected officials so that when I go to ask them to do something or vote a certain way, they're going to be more likely to do what I want because we have a strong relationship. And so, yes, I can be smart about this law or that policy or whatever, right? And that's important, but I'm not going to succeed if I don't have a foundation of relationships where people are going to be willing to talk to me and do what I ask them to. That's right. And, and a big part of that relationships, you know, and I can say this, you know, very easily knowing you is, is the integrity of the human being who wants that relationship too, right? It's not just Connor going, Hey, I need to get my way. It's Connor really having a heart for 
freedom, having a heart for other people. And as you know, people watch him and listen to him and talk to him and get to know him, you know, that, that integrity shines through. And then again, that impacts the, um, you know, not just the, how tight the relationship can get, but it impacts the influence that Connor has when he asks, because people know that he's got other people at heart. It's not just Connor's best interest at heart. He's got everybody's best interest at heart, you know, and, and, um, and that's a powerful thing too. So that's awesome, man. Um, Kaleo, why don't you jump in and ask a question, sir? Alrighty, sir. So I was wondering who your heroes were and why. Okay. So, um, I'm going to go off of what Matt was just saying, integrity, uh, because my interests became, you know, freedom. Uh, my greatest hero when I got started and to this day remains Ron Paul. He was a member of Congress. He ran for president. Uh, he now just does a lot of education. He's written a lot of books. And what I was most impressed with him is that most politicians are corrupt and self-serving and, and awful. Uh, this was a nice old man who was right on the issues, also had integrity. He would share the story oftentimes where lobbyists who are, are from these companies and they're trying to get money for their clients and they're trying to just use the government to benefit their clients. These lobbyists would just walk right past his office because they knew that he had integrity. They knew that he would not, you know, corrupt the process and vote for them or, or, uh, give you know money to his clients and so that was a uh, I, uh, I admired him greatly for that reason it obviously helped that you know reading his books i felt that he was a source of truth uh that he especially was speaking truth to power when everyone else was wanting to go to war or you know debase the dollar and and have more inflation and do all these corrupt things he would stand on the floor of congress and speak against it all he would, he, they called him Dr. No, right? Because he's always saying, don't do that. Stop doing that. That's wrong. Um, and what I liked about him is that he talked about for every no, there's a yes. Like he didn't like being called Dr. Yo. No, he's like, yes, I'm saying no to war, but that means I'm saying yes to peace. I'm saying no right. to inflation, but that means I'm saying yes to stable currency and letting, not stealing from people. So uh, he was a big inspiration to me. And I had the opportunity to interview him on my podcast a couple of years ago uh, when he ran for president uh, and, and didn't succeed. A lot of young people were supporting him uh, more than like any other campaign, uh, college students, mostly that age range. And everyone was really impressed by this. Why are so many young people supporting Ron Paul? And these young people, as the, as his campaign concluded, would ask him all the time, what's next? What should we do? I'm about to go into the job market or I'm, you know, in college, what should I do? And he would always tell those people, I have no idea. I don't know your path. I don't know your skills. And when I interviewed him on my podcast, I, I reminded him of that question. I said, Dr. Paul, you were often asked, um, you know, by, by people supporting your campaign, what should they do? And you'll remember, of course, that, that you always told them, I don't know. And he said, Connor, he's like, let's use you, me. He said, let's use you, Connor, as an example. He said, I never would have thought of writing children's books that have sold now millions of copies to teach kids about liberty. I never would have thought of starting a think tank, a, a nonprofit to go try and change laws, right? But, but Ron Paul was an impact on me, and now I've been an impact on countless other people. And then there's, That's right. there's gonna be one person and all those people that I've impacted who's gonna go on to impact a ton more people. And so to me, that's where you ask uh, about uh, mentors, to me, that's been the greatest thing because one person can have a huge impact on our lives and then enable us to go be a huge impact on other people's lives as well. So for me, it's Ron Paul. And sir, I'll look into that Ron Paul and thank you. That's, that's a fantastic answer. You, uh, you, you said that very well. Thanks. <laughs> it made a lot of sense. Awesome. Beautiful. Logan, you're up, sir. Thanks, sir. Thank you for coming on the call today. Um, you mentioned, uh, my question for you is you mentioned uh, how uh, identifying your drive or your passion and then being intentional about pursuing that is like sort of the first step. Right. And you will be successful if you do that. So I'm curious, how did you uh, find your drive? Um, and what, uh, what strategies do you rec recommend for someone like me who hasn't found what they want to do for the rest of their life yet? Great, great question. That is an awesome question. Uh, I'm not the best example because for me, it took a long time. I went all the way through college. I had to graduate. I hated, you know, going to college. I didn't need to in retrospect, but no one told me that. Um, and, and I didn't like learning. I didn't like reading. It was, you know, and so after college, I finally had free time. Um, I had freedom. No one was telling me you must learn all these things. 
And then I had to rekindle my curiosity. To me, those are the three elements. We need the freedom to choose what we want to you know, focus on and learn about and, and what we want to pursue. We need free time to do it because if you don't have time to just be bored and ponder and experiment and fail and you know, you need free time uh, to really figure that out. And then you need curiosity. Um, you know, you guys are all young. Like I had no clue. You know, I started as a web developer for 10 or 15 years and now I'm a freedom fighter doing something totally different, right? We need uh, curiosity of trying different things. And so I think those are the three elements we need, uh, which is why homeschooling, private schooling, right? Some of these alternatives are better because you're in a better ability to do that. For any of you who are in public school, um, it's still possible, but you're going to have to really work with your parents. I would recommend that you uh, have your parents read my book, Passion Driven Education. If your parents don't already uh, support you kind of going on your own intellectual adventures, they probably do if you're here in this group. But but if you think your parents uh, could improve or want to learn more about that, my book, Passion Driven Education, will be of a help to them. But then more specifically to your question, Logan, is... Um, what, what, I'll just tell you what I'm going to do with my kids. Right now, they're 13 and, uh, and 11. And so in a couple years, uh, probably when they're 15, I'm going to be getting them a whole bunch of apprenticeships. I am going to be getting them uh, opportunities to job shadow their people. I recognize that kids your age and, and me when I was younger, we don't know. We, we need to sample a whole lot of stuff. And, and our lives have kind of been going in one direction, but we don't know the whole world that's out there. We don't know what we would like because we don't know what we don't know. And so my goal for my children uh, is going to be broad exposure. I want my kids to go you know, to a factory for a day and you know, shadow a foreman. I want them to go to a construction site you know, and, and be a gopher to just go help with errands and kind of see what those guys do. I want them to go to a marketing agency and sit in meetings where they talk about you know, creating marketing campaigns. I want them to come with me to the Capitol and watch Dad Freedom Fight. I want them to be the passenger in an Uber, uh, you know, all day long, just driving people around to see. Like, I, I want them to just go try a whole bunch of stuff because they don't know what they what they like. They they think they know what they like, but especially when you're as young as you guys are, those interests change over time. And if you don't know what your calling is, if you don't know what your path is, I think the best way to do it is is go hiking. In other words, if you don't know the path right? Go explore and, and try all the paths and kind of see like, oh, I can kind of see where that path leads. And oh, I can kind of now see where that path leads. But you don't know until you just take a little day's journey on each of those paths and kind of orient yourself to each of them. Um, and so this is where with your parents' help, especially in your parents' network, uh, 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 coworkers, neighbors, people in your church group, in your you know, political groups, online groups, whatever, use your parents, right? Because for me, I'm going to do this for my kids. I know people in all these professions where I can go to them and say, hey, I'd like my kid to kind of get a little bit of exposure to uh, you know, your career. Would you do this for me? And again, because I have a relationship, because I've invested in that relationship, they're likely going to say, oh, yeah, I'd be happy to do that for you. And so use your parents, use a neighbor. If, if your parents don't have the biggest network, use a trusted friend, use Matt, right? Tell Matt, like mm -hmm. someone you want right. to meet or a mentor or an opportunity you want to have. Um, and so uh, use the adults in your network to create your own network and, and go on these little journeys uh, one day, one week. Um, another thing too, that's very critical. Isaac Morehouse talks about this with Praxis, uh, which is a cool group to look into. Yeah. Um, Isaac came on it, with us a couple months oh, ago. Good, good. Okay. So he talks about how when you're young, you have no risk. So offer to go work for right. free. Like if you think you want to do, um, gosh, I don't know, let's say uh, you want to work at a print shop, uh, printing books, you want to get into the print industry, offer to call around and say, I'll work for free for a month. I'll do anything that you want. Because your risk is like nothing. You, you don't have bills to pay yeah. or anything else. And, and if you like it, that's great. Now you've got a foot in the door, you've got relationships, you have expertise, you've got resume building. And if you don't like it, if you discover that that's not what you want, you've saved so much time. I can't tell you guys how many college graduates spend four years, tens of thousands of dollars thinking they know what they want. Then they get into that career and they are miserable. But then they feel like, oh, well, I went to college and I spent all that money, so I should just stick it out. And they hate life. They've wasted time. They've wasted money. So use your youth to your advantage, where you have low to zero risk, just go offer to work for free at these different companies that you think you might be interested in for a month, for three months, for a week. And, uh, and if you, you know, 
identify that that's not what you want to do, then no big deal. You still have all the time in the world and you haven't wasted a bunch of time and money pursuing something later in life that you end up won't liking. So just experiment and try a lot of things out. Thank you. Yeah. So good, man. So it's that buffet example. We always tell you, you can't, you can't pick what your favorite food is if you've only had five foods. Right. Right. So go to the buffet, try everything you can, because then you can narrow down and go, okay. And it's like you said, it's just as valuable to find the things you don't like, because otherwise you get stuck. I had a call earlier this week with a young lady who, um, you know, saying she wants to potentially open an act and academy and she wanted to explore. And she goes, here's the problem. I grew up just thinking, oh, everybody said nursing was a good career. So I went, okay, cool. I want to be a nurse. I had no idea what that meant. So I went to school forever. I'm still in massive amount of debt. I have been a nurse. I hate the job. I actually hate the profession, but I've got to try to pay off these bills. And I really now want to open the school, but I have no idea, you know, how to do that. And then I feel stuck. And I think that is a story for far too many people uh, because we don't get those experiences. And you're right. The best time to do that is when we're young and that the, you know, the consequences for not liking something is, is you just took some time. That was it. Yep. You know, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Ethan, go ahead, sir. Thank you, sir. Um, I want to write a book one day. Do you have any advice? Yes, I do. Tell me a little bit about uh, the book idea, Ethan. Is it fiction, nonfiction? It's a fiction uh, kind of sci-fi in the future where parasites overrun the world and people have to survive the torment and what's happening. Uh, It's called the government, (laughs) Ethan. We're seeing it. It's playing out right now, buddy. (laughs) Then this is a great question. I just posted in the chat the name of an app that I use to write and that I highly recommend to any writers. It's called Scrivener. It makes writing much easier and gives you a lot of tools. Don't write in Microsoft Word or Google Docs. Um, Use an app like Scrivener. It's going to help you organize thoughts and and, uh, there's a lot of cool tools in there for writers. Um, Another thing that I would recommend if you're doing fiction, let me me pause and talk about nonfiction. If you ever, like I I have a book that I got from... uh, uh, what's his name? Luzanis, I can't remember. But he was, I think, 13 years old when he wrote this book, and it was How to Be a Trillionaire. And uh, he had been learning from his dad all about business and money and entrepreneurship. So he wrote a book for kids to share what he had learned about business and saving and investing. And so I bought it for my kids. I'm like, how amazing! One kid teaching another. And uh, and so sometimes you may have a nonfiction idea where you want to teach something. What I'll share briefly about that is the best way to write a nonfiction book is to give a presentation. So gather some friends, some colleagues, uh, fellow students, whatever, family members together. And if you give like a 30 minute PowerPoint presentation or you know, have a slide deck, if you focus just on the presentation, it's gonna force you to think like, okay, how can I have a good flow? You know, how can I keep it creative? What story can I tell to keep people intrigued? And so you're gonna organize just this 30 minute presentation that isn't as intimidating as writing a whole book. But suddenly, when you have a really good presentation, you have the skeleton, right, where you just have to add the, the, the meat and the organs and you know, the muscles and everything um, to, to make a book. So I found great success in my own books, starting with a presentation, because then it's less intimidating. And then I give that presentation, maybe I'll do it a few times to kind of improve it, and then I can scale that up in a big book. For fiction, uh, for fiction books, what I would recommend is uh, getting as much input as possible. So share your story with with people. Share it especially with people who are not your friends and family because you want real feedback. My boy has written a whole bunch of little fictional things. And of course, when he shows it to me, I'm going to be like, oh, this is so great. Good job, <laughs> you know. Uh, and, I, and I do try to give him critical feedback of like how to improve, but I'm biased right? What, uh, what he should be doing, what I tell him he should be doing, what I think aspiring fiction writers should be doing is finding other people, finding other authors, offer to trade, find another kid who's interested in writing and say, hey, I'll give you feedback on my book and you give me feedback on yours. Have little peer writing groups uh, where you can evaluate one of, like, you're going to have to have a lot of critical feedback to, to really improve. And so find those people in your life who are going to give you uh, very real feedback, not mean feedback, I mean, cr- not you want people who criticize you. You want people who will give you uh, critique, critical feedback of what you can actually improve. Um, so with fiction, I have found that you need to iterate. You need to, there's a lot more work that goes into editing, uh, improving a plot line, clarifying a character's background. I think writing fiction is harder than writing nonfiction. 
Um, and so kudos to you for, for really uh, going after that. My boy's uh, trying to do that as well. But I think to really, um, another thing that I would recommend is, um, I'm not going to remember the name of the book, but there's a lot of them out there. To learn, Oh, the, the book is called, I believe, Wired for Story. Um, so I've had my boy reading this book as well. Our brains are wired, they're programmed for story. Uh, and there's a lot of interesting neuroscience where if you learn how brains work, you can then learn how to write stories in a way where readers will just want to keep clipping every single page. So don't just write whatever comes out of your brain stream of consciousness. Writing is both an art and a science. And so learn the brain science and then bring your art and your creativity. But learn how the brain works so that you can write things in a way where people will want to just consume your story and then say, give me more. My wife uh, reads a lot of fantasy. Did you guys see the news about Brandon Sanderson in the past couple of days? Do you know who he is? He a bunch of fantasy books. Uh, he, he finished writing the series Wheel of Time for uh, okay. Robert Jordan, I think was that guy's name. I've never read it, but okay. massively you know, popular book. But Brandon Sanderson is very well known in the, uh, in the fantasy fiction world. He put up a Kickstarter the other day trying to uh, sell a million dollars of books that he had written during the pandemic. Um, he, as of last night, I think has passed $20 million in orders. What? Yes, insane. He, in the, he, he tried to get a million dollars in 30 days. That was his goal. He achieved it in 35 minutes. Um, it, is, it is now <laughs> Kickstarter's <most laughs> campaign. He, he passed, I think, $15 million in the first 24 hours. Guys, people are addicted to good story time. If you're at all interested in writing, read that book in the chat, Wired for Story. Learn how to write wow. in a way that will get people addicted, literally addicted. to. I mean, these people who are paying you know, all this money to Brandon Sanderson is because they've read his other books and they crave more. They literally crave it. They want more of, of the drug that Brandon is, is able to you know, write on paper. Oh, cool. so, so check it out. The fantasy book. How he, cool. uh, so his name is Brandon Sanderson. So just Google him. I just posted that name in the chat. And, uh, and you can learn more about his books. The Wheel of Time, is the, it was someone else's um, series. I think Robert Jordan was his name. And he wrote a bunch of books, but then he died before he finished his last book or two. And so his wife uh, took all of his notes that he had prepared for this book, and she hired this guy, Brandon Sanderson, to write the final book or two to close out the series. And so that really skyrocketed Brandon Sanderson's um, uh, popularity. Uh, and yeah. so then a lot of people now buy Brandon's books because he's a talented writer. But he's a talented writer because he knows the science of storytelling. He knows how to tell stories in a way that appeal to the way people think. So check it out. So it's good for him, man. That is, uh, that is fantastic. Wired for story. I have not read. Have you read story brand? Yes. Yeah. Another excellent yeah. book by Donald Miller. That's a good book. Yeah. Yep. That is another good one. Uh, but wired for story. I'm gonna have to put it on there. Yeah. That is, that is phenomenal, man. Good for, good for Mr. Sanderson. That is rad. Mr. Jason Goodwin. Um, I know you're not Jason. But yeah. That's my dad's account. I know it thanks. is. Thank you, sir. Thank you for coming on the call. Uh, my question for you is, what defines maturity for you? What defines maturity? Um, so I would say the answer to that is emotional intelligence. And what I mean by that is um, I know people who are intelligent, but emotionally stupid or emotionally you know, lacking intelligence. Um, and they come off as immature, even though they are smart. Whereas I know people who are well-composed and respectful, and they know how to converse with adults. They know how to look people in the eye and shake their hand uh, and be polite and uh, be willing to serve other people, thinking of other people instead of just themselves, right? Those people, I think, go very far in life, even if they don't have a lot of book smarts. Again, it's relationships, maturity. It, it, if, if I, when I was looking to get married, when I was dating a lot, I didn't want to date immature girls, right? I wanted someone who was mature that I could build a strong relationship with um, and, and become married to. And so maturity, I think, is the, the kind of secret sauce of a strong relationship. And it could be that way in a business relationship, right? A, a, a professional relationship. Um, if you're able to hold your own in a conversation with another adult and be of value to them, 
Um, I think that's maturity. Um, and that can come mm-hmm. at any age. I know, I know some young people who I would consider far more mature uh, than, than adults. This is why I think the voting age is kind of a silly thing to just say, yeah. 18 years Arbitrary. to the date from when you pass yeah. out of your mother's birth canal, suddenly yeah. you have the, uh, the emotional maturity to make decisions, not only for yourself, but to control other people through the election process. That's right. I don't think arbitrary dates get us where we need to be. Plenty of young people are more uh, mature than, than a lot of older people, but I think it really does come down to, um, can you be an asset in a relationship? Can you think of other people and serve them, uh, be able to communicate with them? To me, those are the signs of maturity uh, versus if someone is like awkward or just interested in themselves, just wants to play video games all day, doesn't care about other people, you know, they're not interested in being a solution. They're, they're more of a problem that other people need to create solutions mm-hmm. for. That's immaturity. Um, and so I think you guys are already on the path to maturity here for, for uh, being part of this group because just the, the, being exposed to people like me and other people who've come on, different thinkers, different books, uh, you guys, I think they're on a really good path to get there. And, uh, and I, I've told this to my kids. Uh, when, when my kids are younger, were younger, I said, guys, if you have your little lemonade stand or your little business ideas right now, you will have people who want to pay you. They don't want your lemonade. They don't want what it like. Right. They will just be so amazed at, at young kids being entrepreneurial that they will shell out money and you guys can make a boatload of cash. Similarly with, kill with you guys at the age that you're at right now, if you have that level of maturity and if you go ask for a job or ask to, you know, you have your own job and you want someone to be your client or whatever, people will be so impressed that you have it together and that you're being intentional and mature that they will want to hire you or work with you or, or help you on your own path. It's, you know, introduce you to another mentor or whatever. Um, and so you guys should take advantage of the age you're at right now. If, if you can exhibit that maturity to other people, they will want to help you because they will identify in you guys um, a rising star. And I know a lot of business right. owners who want to pay it forward. They want to help up and coming kids who kind of have that grit and that hustle. And, and so when you demonstrate that you have that, uh, other people will, will see that and want to, to accelerate your path for you because they'll see that like you stand out from the rest. So just keep standing out uh, and, and those opportunities will definitely come to you. That's awesome, man. No, so that's absolutely true. Some of these young guys, I mean, they've gotten job offers here just in this past year, nice. you know, and, and a lot of that has to do with exactly what you're saying, you know, and I know a lot of 12, 13, 14 year old adults, present company included, you know, and, and I know a lot of 40 year old children and, you know, it's, right. it's, that's exactly it, man. It's, it's making that choice. Gosh, so good. Will Graves, go for it, sir. Thank you, sir, for coming on. Uh, I was wondering with Ukraine and Russia, we right before you came on we were discussing that while something big is happening everybody's focused their attention on that one big event well something else is happening happening because of that event or during that event and that big event is just a distraction how do you focus or how how would you focus on both the events that way you're not caught up in that one big event to where you have no idea that this other event is happening and it hits you and you were not prepared for it. That's a fantastic question. I just posted in the chat a term that comes to mind, sleight of hand. Uh, think of a magician, right? They'll say like, okay, in my, in my hand right here are these three cards and you're going to, right? But they want you to pay attention here. What you don't see is the other hand behind their back that's kind of getting the, the trick ready. Uh, this is a very common trick in magic. It's also a very common trick in the media and in politics. Um, so your question is a really good one. Um, I am not perfect at it uh, by any means. I think we as humans, just like we are wired for story, we are predisposed to trusting authority. There is a fantastic um, thing called the Milgram experiment, which is really worth looking into. I'm going to share a brief because I think it applies here. So uh, after, are we going to the top of the hour? That's when we're cutting off, right, Matt? I just want to be... If that's, if, as long as you're okay, okay we want to yeah. honor your time. So if you're okay there, yeah, that that's my hard great. stop. I just want to make sure I can keep going here for it. Yes, sir. So, um, okay, after World War II, a lot of people were wondering, why did the Nazis do what they did? Why did the German people go along with it? And a lot of the Nazis were defending their position in the trials, the Nuremberg trials is what they were called when they were uh, being tried as war criminals. They were being, uh, their defense was, I was just doing what I was told. 
right? I was just following order. And so there was a psychologist by the name of Stanley Milgram. So that's who the experiment's name is. He said, I want to test this theory. I want to test to what degree individuals will follow authority, will trust authority. So he set up an experiment where he had someone in a lab coat with a clipboard looking very authoritative would be standing next to the person who is the subject of the experiment. And that person would be told, hey, look, before you is this machine with all of these knobs. And as you twist or you know, push the button on each, each one, it will administer a shock to a person uh, in the next room at an increasing amount. So the first button is just a little zzz, And then the next one is like, a, ooh, you know, a little bit harder and progressively increases from there. And so the person sitting in the chair next to the machine is told, this is a very important experiment. And it's important that you follow my instructions to the letter. Oh, okay, you know, and they're there as part of this experiment. So they hit the first button, they hear a little in the next room, ow, the person yells, and they can't see that person, they just hear them in the next room. And, uh, and so they're like, oh, wait, what, what's going on here? And the person with the clipboard takes notes and looks all serious and says, okay, next button, please. And they go on and they go on to pretty soon, the guy in the next room is screaming bloody murder because the shock, he's on like the eighth or ninth shock, let me out of this machine right now. You know, I'm going to punch someone. I'm going to kill you. Let me out of here. And so imagine you're the person sitting in the chair being told that you need to hit the button again. And you're feeling very nervous, right? Like this person's really angry. They don't want to, they don't want to keep getting shocked. They don't want that to happen. And the person with the clipboard says, no, no, no. They, they signed up for this. They know what's happening. It's very important they hit the next button. So these people go all the way to the end, to the point where they stop hearing sounds in the next room when they're administering these, these highest amounts of shock. Either the person has passed out or they're dead. The person sitting there next to the machine has no idea. 66% of everyone sitting in that chair administer the fatal shock to the person in the other room simply because they were told to do so by someone in authority in a lab coat. Now, the person in the next room, he's not really being shocked, but they don't know that. It's just the, the part of the experiment, right? But the person sitting in the chair is led to believe that this is a real experiment, real shocks are being administered, and they will administer a fatal shock, two-thirds of them, going against their own conscience simply because they were told to do so by someone in authority. Now, you might say, well, that's just a one-time experiment or whatever, but the reality is this experiment has been replicated, meaning they've, they've created this experiment again and again and again, different little adjustments and circumstances and people. And consistently, they find that two-thirds of people will obey authority to the point of killing another person. Okay? Why do I say all this? I say it because this question of Russia and Ukraine and the media and everything else, I have a hard time because you see these images coming out and you see this footage and you're like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. The president of Ukraine is in the middle of battle and look, he looks so presidential. And the ghost of Ukraine, this plane is flying around and has downed six people. And, and these 13 people on this island told the, the Russia, Russian warship to, to you know, screw you and go away. Turns out those are all completely fake completely fake. And yet when the first days of the, the war were starting, these were the images, these were the narratives. And I believe them because we are predisposed to truth. And so it's, it's this whole problem with the boy who cries wolf, right? The villagers are like, no, we don't believe you. No, we don't believe you. Right. And pretty soon they, they stop believing the boy who cried wolf. Our media institutions are lying to us through our teeth. And yet we struggle to disbelieve them because then something happens and we don't know any better. We don't, I didn't know that that ghost of Ukraine, you know, jet was, was false or not. So um, I guess the only word of advice maybe I can give is when, when public attention, when two things happen, when there's consensus and when there's focus, I think that should raise warning bells. In other words, we all started focusing on Ukraine immediately. And then there was broad consensus. Russia is evil. Ukraine is the democracy. They're the true victim here. And it's like, well, wait a minute. When, when we're all agreeing on something and we're all focusing on something, then, then our, we are being directed. Our opinion is being shaped and it is being focused and formed. There's a fantastic book called Propaganda by Edward Bernays. I'm uh, posting that in the chat. It's a very short book that written a century ago. But it's all about how our opinions are manipulated by the people in power. And so, look, I'm not perfect at this. I still struggle with it. I wrote a whole book about it called Fear Them, how our fears are exploited by people who want to take advantage of us. So I, I wrote a book about it, and I still struggle with it because, uh, because of the way our brains work and because we're human.
But I would say at a minimum, when there is focus and consensus about something, then that should raise warning bells where we should just take a step back and say, okay, wait a minute, maybe this is propaganda, maybe we're being lied to, let me just reserve judgment for a few weeks or months. Let's see how this unfolds. Let's see if we can learn some additional things. Because you know what? Ukraine is not a total victim here, right? United States is not a neutral bystander. For years, there's been involvement in Ukraine. The United States helped topple the democratically elected government in Ukraine. So of course, Putin doesn't like that because we're playing in his backyard. All throughout our history, you begin to learn that the way history has been portrayed is not actually accurate. Um, man, I could, I could, if I had time, I could so share all good. kinds of other stories, but I would just say, uh, I'm, I'm just going to leave this here. Google uh, Operation Northwoods. That's a, a very illuminating thing to, That's a great one. to, yep. to look at how Absolutely. people are trying to manipulate our viewpoints in furtherance of their agenda. Operation Northwoods dealt with the Cuban Missile Crisis and communism in Cuba and everything else. And literally the top military leaders of the United States proposed killing Americans, blaming it on Cuba in order to deceive the American public into supporting war against Cuba. They wanted to manipulate the public into supporting uh, war so that they could go to war by lying, by killing their own citizens who they swore an oath to, to protect. The only reason that operation didn't happen is because the president at the time, JFK, shot it down. And, uh, and said no. So it's been declassified. Go Google it. You can read it. And uh, it's despicable. But the question for us is, does stuff like that happen today? I think so. And if so, when there's focus and consensus, we should have those warning bells and say, okay, some fishy's going on here. Let's just wait and watch and see what happens. So, so much I want to, I mean, so much I want to dissect that. What do you think on that, Will? It's really interesting. Uh, a lot of stuff to go um, and look at. Uh, for the weekend weekend absolutely yeah and that's that's a good uh that's a good thing you know it's it's questioning questioning all that i love that he said you know consensus in there too and, and focusing on that if you're being direct and everybody's coming to consensus quickly and i often look at okay if the mainstream if everybody is coming to this consensus and they're doing so immediately and if i'm looking at people who are in positions of power that I traditionally don't necessarily agree with. Not that I would never agree with them on something, but but if I look at them and generally go, hmm, you and I don't usually think the same way, but all of those people are also part of that consensus group. Um, it's just let's let's pause, and it's not uh, it's not being you know the antithesis of anything else. It's not uh, to be this contrarian. It's just to question and be sure that what I know is something I know, um, right? Not what I'm being told that I know. And, and that's just a, that's a different, you know, a different perspective on that. You guys, we have uh, about seven minutes. So Antonio JB and then Turner and we are, and we are golden. All right. Hello, sir. Thank you for, uh, thank you for coming on the call. Sorry. My, uh, my camera's not working right now, but, um, I have a question. We, uh, we talk about, you know, excellence and always doing your best a lot. Um, how do you, or doing your best with everything, how do you, uh, if you feel, feel yourself, you know, getting lazy or not necessarily doing your best at what you do, how do you re-motivate yourself to, um, to do that? That's, that's a great question. Uh, this is, I mean, I struggle with this. I'm, I'm a naturally lazy person. Um, and so I like just, you know, vegging and uh, watching movies and, and hanging out with my wife and kids. Um, so... Uh, I work very well, two things, and, and Atomic Habits talks a little about this. The first is environment. Uh, I try to clear my environment of distractions and, uh, and unhelpful, um, unhelpful things. And so, so making sure that I have a good environment that, that naturally supports me in uh, what I'm trying to do, um, that is going to be, uh, that has been very helpful. James Clear uh, did a video. I have it right here and I'll post it in the chat. I watch this probably every other week. Um, and uh, he's talking about, uh, it's just a condensed version of the book basically. And, um, and this, this video has really helped me kind of maintain focus a lot. The second is accountability, uh, an accountability partner. In some cases, I have my wife help me with some accountability. In other cases, I have my coach help me. Sometimes I have people at my company help me, depending on what it is, but I, I want to be accountable. Um, and that means sometimes publicly sharing my goals because if they're private, then they're, 
You know, if they're internal goals, then I could just ignore them and no one really knows. But if I told my wife, I'm going to lose 10 pounds in the next, you know, two months, right? Then she can tease me if I, you know, if I'm still uh, got the dad bod uh, going on and I'm not, you know, on the treadmill, right? Or if I tell a business partner, like, hey, I have this goal of, of achieving this revenue or going this clientele, then he's free to follow up with me every couple of days. Hey, like, I haven't seen you doing anything on this, but I have to make those goals public. Uh, I need accountability. Um, and uh, so I would say the environment and accountability for me have been uh, the best help. Uh, but like with that video and books, just really making sure that I am, and, and groups like this, making sure that I have a lot of positive um, exposure to to people in my network who are also trying to work really hard and achieve great things. Because then I feel a little bit of competition, right? Like that, yeah. my friend here and my business partner here are doing amazing things. I don't want to be the the you know slob that's not doing anything. And so make sure you have a good friend and peer group of people where you can uh, uh, coach one another, support one another, um, and, and egg one another on. And, and again, it's like, how does the brain work? The brain works really well through, you know, envy. Uh, and so can we leverage that for our benefit and say, like, I, I want people to be envious of me, so I'm going to go hustle. And how can, we, how can we do those systemic things like with the environment and with our psychology that are going to naturally lead us to do this rather than us you know, thinking that willpower is the way. And if, if only I have more will, it's not willpower, right? Like you need the will to do things. You need the goals, but then you need systems in place. So that video I shared is an excellent little thing yeah. to just every couple of weeks, make sure you're watching that. Be like, okay, this week is going to be awesome. That's awesome, man. I'm going to go, go for it. And thank uh, you very much. Yeah. I'm going to check that out. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's worth checking out that video. And it goes back to that whole, I mean, it goes back to relationships and kind of what he's talking about. It's that old adage. If you're the, you know, show me, the five people you hang around with the most and i'm going to yes. show you who you are right and creating that positive network right there of people that are that are doing and doing so you know positively with integrity and with influence and and um you know you'll you'll be forced to raise your game in there right all right turner you got the final question sir thank you so very much for being here you're just an amazing guy thank you so my question is is there a solution to fix the corrupt public school system for unbenefited people you could say we saved the most complicated question for the final four minutes. Here we go. <laughs> Dude, yeah, good. Um, That's a good one. So I think the biggest problem we face, well, first of all, I don't think the public school system is broken. I think it is doing exactly what it was designed to do by the, the architects who originally set it up. Horace Mann, John Dewey, even John Goodlad and some of these guys. So I think, I think the public system is achieving its ends. John Taylor Gatto uh, talked about this. If you guys don't know John Taylor Gatto, it's worth checking out. I uh, just posted his name in the chat. Uh, he talked, he has a whole book called Dumbing Us Down. The whole reason why I decided not to public school my kids was because of his book, Dumbing Us Down. Um, because there are people who want us to be an ignorant populace. They want to subject us to a big government, to their control. And only an informed people can defend their rights. Therefore, people who want power over us need us to be ignorant. So the public schools are, are not broken. They are doing what they were designed to do. That isn't to say the teachers who sign up to go teach kids share that goal. Right. They're just kind of part of this. So the problem we have, I think, is that many parents see this system as positive. They don't understand its negatives. And they are economically incentivized to use the system as babysitting. Uh, again, they don't maybe make the sacrifice for mom to stay home or for a single parent to figure it out or whatever to, to you know, homeschool or do private school or something else. And so many parents see public school as a babysitting service with some education. Um, and I struggle to know how we can combat, fully, fully undermine this deep-seated cultural perception about schooling. Now, COVID has produced the biggest silver lining I have ever seen in my lifetime in terms of waking so many families up to the problems with uh, these government schools and the many opportunities when literally everyone was forced for a few weeks to become homeschoolers. What did we have? We had micro schools and pandemic pods and you know public school teachers quitting to form their own little one-room uh, one school and not having to yeah. deal with any bureaucracy and getting paid more. So I think uh, the cat's out of the bag where a lot of people, I mean, homeschooling tripled across the country in the past year. Yep. I think a lot of uh, uh, opportunities are emerging. I don't know that we're going to completely dismantle public school, 
But the best thing that we can do is create competition. Uh, it is a quasi-monopoly. Monopolies hate competition. And the more that we can create private schools and micro schools and homeschooling and have a, a, a law called education savings accounts so that uh, parents can take money and then go to all these different places, it's going to force, at least it's going to force the public schools to improve uh, because they're going to have to deal with competition of a lot of kids leaving the system. Uh, so this is a big, big problem. It's something that I think about a lot. It's something we need to do. I feel like getting kids out of public schools is like waking them up from the matrix and we need to give these families these little red pills so that they can wake up from the system. I, I think uh, for those of us who care about freedom, uh, it really requires rescuing as many families as possible from the government schools so that they're not uh, um, led along in that pro-government mindset that creates problems down the road. So I wish I had more than four minutes to share thoughts. It is a big problem and uh, something that I so good. think about every day. No, that was amazing. Stellar. Thank you. Absolutely. You guys, I know we got all on our Connor's time, so he's going to be getting out of here. You guys, let's give a big thank you, Connor. Um, man, dude, I, I every time, um, so grateful for you, man. Grateful to call you a friend. Grateful for all you're doing. Um, and I'll reach out to you over the weekend. I know you got things to do. So you guys give a big thanks to Mr. Boyack. Thank, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Keep up the great work, guys. See you later. Back at you, brother. All right, there you go. Go support Connor in anything and everything uh, that he has got going on. Jump on his uh, social, grab those books, uh, anything you can do, man. So much wisdom shared, and we appreciate you listening. Uh, again, we always ask for a review. We always ask for a rating. We always ask for those things if you haven't done so already because it allows us to rank higher so that we can continue to pour in to young people. So we just ask you to do that. Uh, and more importantly, we ask you to just continue leading in your own life, whether you're leading young heroes or you are a young hero, keep being that outlier, keep leading, especially in this time when so few people uh, are taking the reins. So we appreciate you all and we'll catch you next time on the essential 11. See ya.